Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Today, breakfast, and the class is dedicated in love and memory of Aliza and Meir Agami. Alehem Shalom. Lilun Nishmatem Meir Ben Esther. Alav Shalom. And Aliza Sarah Bat Farha. Aleha Shalom. Sponsored by their son Isaac uh, Agami, Ajami, Ajmi. All the possibilities. Hazaku Baruch. It should be Ilun Nishama. As well, anonymously, it's donated. And um, for, in memory of Stanley Chira, Shlomo ben Rivka, Shlomo ben Shoshana, and as well in the zechut of uh, Mickey Carey, Alava Shalom, as well, who's Yotzah uh, this week. My friends, I want to share with you a very interesting question. You do not answer amen uh, if you're listening to this class because uh, it is not being posted live. So if you answer amen, Michila, for giving you the amen yitoma, I apologize. Okay. Now, it's so interesting, my friends, so interesting. We know that the, when the Jewish people built the Egel, so they built it out of uh, gold. In fact, Aharon said to the uh, to, the, to the people, they were pestering him, they were trying to make him, you know, build it for them. And Aharon felt, you know, all he needed to do was just stall. Because if he stalled a little bit, then Moshe would come back. Often think about being in Aharon's brain at the time. You see the mob coming for you, right? And uh, it's a scary thing. And they've already just killed Khur. They've just uh, murdered Khur because he wouldn't build it for them. He wouldn't get on board. He tried to stop them. And now they come to Aharon HaKohen, Alava Shalom, and they're like, build us a thing. And Aharon's very frightened, not necessarily of dying. Our rabbis tell us, but what Aharon was most frightened about was because Khur was a Navi, and Aharon was a Kohen. And like it says, Im Kohen Navi, if a Kohen and a Navi are killed in one day by the Jewish people, it brings about tremendous devastation and destruction to the people. Where do we have that? By Zechariah. Where Zechariah, the aftermath of that, the Gemara says, was terrible. Nebuzaradan was killing people on top of where the blood was in an attempt to get it to stop bubbling. The earth was like bubbling up from the earth almost. And he kept trying to get the blood to, to silence. So he slaughtered over 80,000 people on top of that spot. Crazy, and the blood wouldn't stop. And he said, to, he said do you want me to kill everybody? And then, oh, then that's when the, the blood kind of calmed, whatever this, these terminologies mean. But you see that there's a terrible thing that Aaron was scared that Am Yisrael should pay. And that, that might have happened if he would have said no. So Aaron refuses and he uses a tactic. And what tactic does he use? He thinks, genius, what is he gonna do? What are women like? They love their jewelry. He says, go ask all your wives to bring me your wedding band, your anniversary, your tennis bracelet, your, your this, batik, your necklace, your brooch, I don't know, my body, right? I don't know, did I leave out any, uh, right? Your ankle bracelet, your nose ring, whatever you want to bring. Bring it all here, and then we'll make, uh, we'll make uh, Abu Daza. He's thinking, how long is it going to take them? You know, it's, it's going to take them time. He needs to buy how long? One day. Okay, Aaron was not familiar that there's something called a charity campaign where you raise all the money in 24 hours. He'd never heard of such a thing, okay? So you figured three months, six months, by then it'll be in the clear, Moshe will be back, it won't be a problem. And I want to say, by the way, 
just as a parent, as a husband, as a rabbi, Aharon's cheshbon maybe was not so off. You know, sometimes you have people who every time they have a chance, they put on their armor, they ride into battle. You know, they're fighting their wives, they're fighting their kids, they're fighting their husbands, they're fighting their parents, they're fighting the school, they're fighting the synagogue, they're always, they love to fight, they fight for everything. There's no mitzvah to fight for everything. Sometimes all you have to do is delay. And the delay itself is enough. Sometimes it's a very good strategy. Now, of course, in Aharon's scenario, it backfired spectacularly, okay? But sometimes a person doesn't need to fight. And maybe I think also, that's what it means in, uh, when Shilomo HaMelech says, et milchama ve'et shalom. So I always wondered, you know, it does, it's strange that you have to tell me both of those. Right? If it's not an et milchama, what is it? It's an et shalom. What is this et milchama ve'et shalom? Now you could ask that on many of the other ones as well, but I think there's something very clever over here. What Shilomo HaMelech was saying is that there's times of milchama that are not times of shalom. But it's a milchama that you don't win through milchama. It's a milchama that you win by not fighting. An example of this is when uh, the Nazis lost to the Russians because of General Winter, they call him. Who's General Winter? The cold. They attacked. They, had, they were not prepared for the winter of Russia, the freezing cold winter. It was so cold the tanks stopped working. I mean, it was... It was, but this, the, the Russian soldiers were ready for it. So sometimes you could lose a war, not to the soldiers, but to the environment, to the situation. So a guy says, oh, I want to go, I want to go, you don't want to go. You know what you say? Fine, let's go. Pick the coldest day of the year. Let him lose to General Winter. <laughs> Do you understand? Oh, the guy gets out three seconds later, he's like, it's freezing, I don't want to go. <laughs> it's not a fight that you needed to fight. So again, we learned, there's a lesson here to understand, even from Aaron. Aaron applied a good idea but maybe perhaps in the wrong time. So my, my friends, I want to talk to you about what happened in the aftermath of that. They brought, brought the gold. The strategy didn't work. Aaron goes and he builds, again, mistakenly, however happened, a golden calf. He asks the B'nai Saskar, I have a question. Where did this gold come from? Where did they get this gold from? Egypt. But specifically where? Our rabbis tell us that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he was talking about the, the place of the Egel, what did he call the location of the Egel? He called it Lavan Mechatserot Vedizahav. Remember that pasuk in Devarim? Lavan Mechatserot Vedizahav. What does Dizahav? Rashi says, quotes, I think it's from Yochanan, Daizahav. Enough, too much gold. Borei Olam, you want to know why they built an, an idol? You want to know why they're rebelling? Why they're doing the wrong thing? Because they had too much gold. A person can have too much money. That, there is such a thing. A person can have money where it, trans, it transfers past the realm of Beracha into the realm of Kelala. A person can have so, mon, so much money, they stop seeing their family. A person can have so much money, they start feeling the need for power. They make terrible mistakes. A person could have so much money, they stop relating to their own family members. They think that other people who were not blessed with that mazal are stupid or less than, and they start looking down. It's a disaster sometimes. 
too much money can be, you know, can be a disaster. My friends, I want to share with you something that I think is very beautiful. Moshe says to God, he says, you gave them too much. What happened when they had too much? They sinned. But you gave it to them. It's almost like Moshe is pointing a finger at God and saying that some of the blame for this has to lie with you. Now, first of all, what? What? What are we talking about? How are you blaming Hashem for their choices, for their actions? Secondly, ask the Bnei Yisachar, I don't understand. Where'd this money come from? When the Jewish people were leaving Egypt, Hashem says to Moshe, He says, Nah, please. Daber na, speak, please. In the ears of the people, there was Ne'am, Ve'yish'alu, and they should borrow Klechesev, Ve'chle'zahav, golden vessels, silver vessels. Esks Rashi, quotes the Gemara, what is Daber na, please, please speak to them. Rashi quotes the Gemara, Shelo yomar oto sadik, that that sadik should not say, Ve'avadum ve'inu otam kiyam. Maybe Abraham, God says, please, I don't want anyone having any complaints against me. Up in Shamayim, it's really great. Up here in heaven, you know, we're really enjoying ourselves. The AC is set at a perfect 72 degrees. The sushi is delicious. The wine is chilled. Everything's fantastic. Please, I don't want you messing up my space now. Abraham Avinu, I told him in the, in the Brit Ben Abitarim, that his children would be enslaved and they would be working in a country that did not belong to them for 400 years. So imagine they leave Egypt and they don't have the money. They don't borrow all this money from the Egyptians. They're going to leave empty-handed. Abraham's going to come to me and say, remember our promise? Remember the covenant? The whole first part about them being slaves that you remembered, but the second part where you promised me and after that, they'll leave with a, a great inheritance? Wait, what's the, where is it? Asks the B'nai Saskar. I don't understand. The reason why God kept his promise is because Abraham would complain? First of all, did Abraham ever ask questions? When Hashem asks Abraham for the Akedah, Abraham doesn't ask a question. Well, you think now he's going to ask a question about the money? Question number one. Powerful question. Question number two, he says. Listen to this. It's unbelievable. He says, how could it be that a gift that came directly from God's hands resulted in such a catastrophic end? You know, when a human, being's, a human being gives a kindness to you, you're not sure if that's going to be a kindness or a curse. He's not sure himself. You know, as an example, you have a great job in a company. Someone comes along and says, you know what, I want to get you a promotion. You don't know this at the time, but you're perfectly situated in the company. You're making your commissions. You're making a lot of money. You don't have any. All of a sudden, you get the promotion. Now, all these other people that feel that they should have had it, they should have got the promotion. Now they all hate you. None of them are working with you. None of them are referring clients. You have a target on your back. And six months later, the guy has to leave his job. Why? Because of a promotion. Only Borei Olam is capable of giving chas- chasadim, kindnesses, that are good. 
Like we say in the tefillah, gomel hasadim tovim. The obvious question is, isn't every chesed tov? And the answer is, no. There's lots of kindnesses that you do for somebody that are actually not good for them. Can I give you an example? Simple example. You have a guy, he has 199 zoos. That's the amount of money they used to have then. It's also the amount of money that a person can have before they are no longer considered an ani, a poor person. So if a guy has 200 zoos, he's not an ani. Has 199 zoos, ani. I want you to imagine, he walks up, he sees the richest guy in the community, the guy's gonna give him a $50,000 check to marry off uh, his two kids and his and this yeshiva. And every year he gets the amount of money from this guy. Now I see this guy, I can't stand him. I don't like him, you know. He's a, uh, he's, my competition as an ani, okay? I see him eyeing the rich guy across the room. I walk up to him, I say, I just wanted to, you know, I saw your difficult times, everything. Here, Rohi, here's one zoos. If he's one under, the guy could get a huge one over, or one more, he's not. So sometimes you can have a hesed, which is not good. Sometimes a person is praying for something, it's not the right time. So if he forces the issue, and he gets the goodness, he winds up forfeiting something that's much better at a later stage, you know? So only Borei Olam is Gomel Chasadim Tovim. He grants kindnesses that are, that are good, that don't have a downside. Says the Bnei Saskar, one second. Here they got all this gold. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Daiza have too much. And that caused them to sin. How could it be? That came, that was a gift of God. And the Bnei Saskar says something, first of all, brilliant. It's just such a beautiful insight. But beyond that, it has an amazing lesson. He says, God did not give them that gift. God did not give them that gift. God did not want to fulfill his promise to them that way. God did not want to give it to them because he promised. He only gave it because of Abraham. What does that mean? He says, look carefully. The pasuk does not say, take. The pasuk says, borrow. Did that ever bother you? Why did God ask them to borrow the vessels? God did not want them to have this money. He did not want it to come to them this way. Hashem's intention was to give them the reward that He promised in the Brit Ben Abitarim. He was to give them at the Yamsuf, at the ocean. What's the difference? Listen, this is so amazing. He quotes Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Rimenov who says something that's actually quite frightening, but again, also, on the flip side, is very encouraging. He says, you see sometimes children, that they grow up and they leave the path and they're not connected and the parents put so much effort into them. Religious family, religious education, they don't understand what happened. Says Rabbi Mendel, if the Torah you fed your child, if the food you fed your child, if the money you brought home from work was pure, was free of sin, was free, was not stealing, lying, misrepresenting, 
the food was kosher, the, the Torah was untainted, it wasn't done for honor. Something that's done lishma, something that is pure, produces and can produce only something that is pure. You can't plant a, a, a grapefruit, yeah, and get an orange. You can't plant an orange and get olives. But when you plant in the child money that you got that was not so honest, and that's how you paid for his education. When the food that you ate wasn't so kosher, so what'd you plant? You didn't plant the purest of things. So there's a chance that what might come forth from this child is this negative element. But that comes from something that was planted already before. Borei Olam did not want them having money from Egypt. Because money from Egypt is not clean, it's not kosher. They were all idol worshippers. Right back then, we know, they were serving the, the sheep and they bowed to the Nile and they were a people that had, there was such hatred in that money. I know people who refused to take any reparations from Germany. Because they said, why would I want, why would I want to be eating from the hand of these murderers? Even years later, this money that went into the economy, they were impoverished nation, they became the wealthiest of the nations in Europe, right? This impoverished nation. Well, I don't want, I don't want to eat anything from them. The hatred, the murder, the blood, the, the guilt, everything that's in that money. I don't want to, I don't touch it. But it's so much money, I'd, I'd rather die. Borei Olam says, I want you to borrow Kelim. Why? The only reason why I want you walking out of Egypt with money is Shiloh Yomar Oton Sadiq. I just don't want Abraham to have any complaints. But it's not because that's what I want. I don't want to do this. I want you to give the money back. But how does it help then that what they got at, uh, at uh, Yamsuf? The answer is, my friends, at the Yamsuf, where their masters had died, then their money no longer belonged to them. It was Hefker. So the money that they got at the Yamsuf, where they were, it was ownerless, that money was, was uh, un, unattached to previous impact and previous influence. But the money that came from Egypt itself, which was only supposed to be by Yish'alu, only to borrow, right? That, that, that money was still tainted. And that money produces a golden calf. Fascinating, because that's what they used to worship. They worshiped the animals. And their money carried within it both their avodazara, uh, the tendencies, and as well, the avodazara for specifically for cattle. How do we know that they served cattle? Because it says that when they came down to Egypt, Yosef said, don't tell anyone that you're shepherds. I have to put you somewhere else. Kitoavat, because the hate, the, the, the aversion, the abomination to Egypt was kol ro'e, all the shepherds of, of sheep, of animals. They, they, they hated people who were shepherds for that reason. This was a God. Rabotai, this is, if you understand this now, then you understand something so beautiful. So what was God's intention? Let them borrow these vessels. They're leaving Egypt. It looks like they have all this money. Abraham's happy. When is God going to fulfill His promise? At the Yamsuf. Hold up. So what was God's plan with these stuff that they borrowed then? The answer is, what Hashem wanted was that they should borrow it with an intention to return, to return it. And then when Egypt, when they would die in the Yamsuf, 
Then again, there would be no one to return it to, and then they would acquire it. But there were many Jews that when they saw the gold and they saw the silver and they borrowed it, they had already intention in their minds not to borrow it and then acquire it from ownerless, but to instead they had in mind to keep it. They didn't listen. The greed was too much, and they already had in mind to acquire it from back then. And because they had in mind to acquire it from back then, they wound up having this money they should not have had. Rabotai, 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 Rabotai. Now that's a very scary thought, isn't it? Careful how careful a person has to be with money. Right? We see that. How careful a person has to be with money. And yet, oh, it also is so encouraging. Because I know that if I'm so super careful, I make sure the money I use for tuition is 100%, everything is honest, scrupulous. I make sure the food I feed my children is 100% kosher. No question of bugs, no batih. I'm not going to go rely on no hechsher because it's vegetarian. I'm, da, 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 da. I'm not going to rely. You know what? Okay, a little bit more money, a little bit more care, concern. You know, look at me. Do I look like I'm starving? I can stand to lose a few pounds. I never ate in a restaurant that had a weak hechsher. I never had to. I figured always out how to eat kosher. And you know what? I'm doing fine. I never starved to death, at least not yet. That means that we could manage that what we grow, both in terms of our children, but also in terms of our actions, the synagogues we built, that the money should come from a source which is pure. That if someone comes and wants to give a donation and the person is not a good person, can't use that money for a shul, for a bet midrash, for a school, for a hospital. Do you ever wonder why some hospitals happen to be very lucky and they're masliach and some not? Why did they manage to get the administrator that runs the hospital like a tight ship that saves lives? And some hospitals are death traps. It might go back to the origin of what was planted there. Was, were, you plan, were you planting honor? You know, was the money that you got, did you make your money in, a, in an arena where, you know, you weren't so careful with people's lives? In a nursing home where you didn't really care so much about the safe? That's how you made your fortune? Now you built the hospital? What happens? The money that came from that it produces that. You planted grapefruits, you got grapefruits. So it tells us as well that we have the, the capacity to be able to manage the outcome of, of our efforts, of our investments. In the stock market, what do we say at the end of the commercial? Past performance is not indicative of future results. You don't know if you put the money down, you don't know if you're gonna wake one or lose money. In Judaism, we don't say that. So long as the investment is done the right way, can't lose it. Unbelievable. And I think Rabotai, that is why the parasha this parasha begins in a very strange way. You know, right in the middle here, we have the whole saga of, uh, what's it called? Of the Egel, of worshipping the Egel, the Avodah Zarah, the Jewish people sinning, Moshe Rabbeinu doing this, begging Hashem, complete story. And then right in the beginning, we have this random bit telling you about the Machatzita Shekel. That's the beginning of Kitisa, right? What's, what's the connection between these two things? And there are many connections. One connection is that God knew that they were going to be punished soon, 
ahead of, you know, so ahead of the time, God is always looking to try and provide the cure before the punishment. So he gives them something which stops the magifah, the, the mitzvah of mahazita shikr. There's one answer. But I want to give a second answer. God says, Zayitenu, this they should give. This. Milamed says the Gemara. Milamed, this comes to teach you. Sheher Lord, that he showed him, Matbeya shel esh. God showed him in prophecy. He showed him a machatita shekel, half a shekel, made out of fire. All the Mefarshim ask one second. I understand when God showed Moshe uh, a menorah. Okay, that makes sense. That's very complicated. He didn't know how to build it. When God showed Moshe the, you know, the Levanat, this is how you, this is how you make a dish. I understand that. Why? Because Levanat, open up Harambam, 16 chapters, Mabarif on, uh, what's it called? On Birkat Levanat, all the laws. Here, he tells Moshe, give them a dollar. Moshe, what's a dollar? Oh, here's a dollar. He shows him a dollar. <laughs> it's a dollar. What do you mean, what's a dollar? What's a, what's a half a shekel? What was unclear that God needed to show him? A half of a shekel. And there are many answers to this question. Beautiful question with many answers. But a secondary question is, if God needed to show Moshe a half a shekel so everyone would know what to give, so show him a half a shekel. What did he get? What, did he ben- what was the benefit of showing him the shekel made out of fire? Show him the shekel as an image of the half a shekel. It's this coin. And I think what God was hinting to Moshe before the story that was about to come Rabotai is that money is fire. God wasn't showing him a matbea shel esh, a coin of fire. God was showing him that on a spiritual level, money is fire. It can be used to cook things. It can be used to warm people, to warm the hearts of the Jewish people, to get people more involved, to bring Torah. It can be used for beautiful things, to bring light, or it could burn the whole village down. The care that you have with fire, Rabotai. You know, in my house, I have a fireplace. The fireplace does not work. <laughs> so I don't know exactly why we have to have a gate in front of a fireplace that doesn't work. Am I worried that Santa's going to break into my house? Is that what the guy? I'm not sure. Okay? But there's a gate in front of the fireplace. Because at least when the fireplace is working, everyone understands. Stay away. There's a... Now you can move the gate. So what's the point of the gate that you can move? Because it's that extra layer of protection, of reminding. Rabotai, we would do well in our businesses to put some simanim around the office. Next to the telephone. Put something right there, you know, uh, in front of the telephone, on the desk. Get yourself a machatzita shekel. Half a dollar. Put it in the glass, you get it from the mint, stick it over there. And right on top of it, Zayitinu, this is what they should give. So you remember, you're making a phone call. The guy asks, so uh, are there any better deals available? And you're thinking to yourself, this is the one deal I can't get rid of. (laughs) No, unfortunately, there are no better deals available. In fact, I have lots of people, they're lining up for the deal here. What? Sorry, you want to buy it? No, you can't. I'm selling it on the phone. Sorry. No, he really wants it. You can't have it. (laughs) Reminders. That money that's pure builds amazing things. That money that's impure, what does it build? It builds destruction. Fascinating concept. That's what God was showing the Jewish people, showing Moshe. He was almost hinting to Moshe what was about to take place. 
But from every difficult lesson, we also learn how to protect ourselves and our families and our investments by doing it the proper way. May God bless us always to withstand the temptations and to be able to do things that set us up for the ultimate success, the ultimate beracha uh, in our money. The money is called in Aramaic, it's called zuz, like I just said to you earlier. And the Gemara says the reason why it's called zuz is because it moves from one place to the other. When a person does the money the right way, right, it comes to him. When a person does money the wrong way, Zeus, it moves from him. So it's always, Kesef is always mobile. This idea of digital currency, I think that was the original concept, that money is supposed to move very quickly. Not as quickly as Dogecoin, but it's supposed to move to you and from you relatively quickly based on, uh, on the, uh, on the uh, concept and the way that you treat it. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen v'amen. Rabbi